I don't remember when you moved in. Actually, I really don't remember you moving in at all. I just remember you being there with me everywhere I went, everywhere I didn't. You hung out with my friends with me. You went to school with me. You ate with me. You slept with me. And you talked to me. A lot. Sometimes you'd even talk for me. You ranted to me. You screamed to me. You even lectured me. And I listened. You taught me that if I wasn't perfect, everyone would hate me. You taught me to never let my guard down because one mistake would ruin everything. I remember crying in a bathroom stall in second grade as you scolded me for getting the answer wrong in front of the whole class. You said my teacher hated me and all the other kids thought I was dumb. Then you yelled at me to go back to class so that I didn't look pathetic and stupid. You said that you were just making sure I was okay and helping my life not fall into pieces so my future didn't go down the drain. You said you weren't a problem. You said you were a solution to problems that could and would happen. And I listened. You changed when I was 12. Instead of shouting, you would whisper so soft that only I would hear. You told me my life was already a failure and nothing mattered anymore so I shouldn't care. You told me the world would be better off without me because I didn't matter to anyone. You drew marks on my body in permanent ink, reminders of how easy it would be to just leave. And it was easy, really easy. You told me to hide your drawings and smile because if anyone else saw, I'd be in trouble. You said if anyone else saw, they'd feel guilty and think they had to take care of me even though my life didn't matter. I listened. When I was 14, my mom saw your drawings. She saw your drawings and she started to cry. You told me it was my fault she saw them. You told me I ruined her life. My mom told me to talk back to you and to tell you to be quiet. You said, don't you dare. And I listened. You told me I don't need anyone's help and you were the only one who was honest. You told me I was fine. You told me that if anyone asked, I couldn't hear you. And I listened. I'm 16 and you've changed again. You have two voices. When I wake up, you whisper in my ear. You whisper, it's not worth getting out of bed because today would be another day that people pretended to care. You whisper that existing is too much right now. You whisper about how comfortable my bed is, how dark it is, and tell me I don't have to exist if I just stay there. But you also scream. You scream that if I don't get out of bed, I'm a disappointment. You scream that I'm weak, and if I act the way that I feel, I'll bother everyone. So I get up, and I walk through my day. I smile, I laugh. I don't let people hear you, but I hear you and I listen. What I realize now is that I've also learned from you. I've learned that you don't live only with me. You live with everyone. You have different forms. You are louder in some and quieter in others. I've learned that other people are just as good as hiding you from the world as I am. And I've learned that others aren't. 
I've learned that some people don't listen to you. They talk back. They make you listen. I've learned that that takes practice and it's easier for some people than others, but it's not impossible. I'm still learning how to talk to you. I will be learning how to talk to you for the rest of my life, but that's fine. I've learned you will always be a part of me, a normal part of me. You talk to me, I talk to you, and you listen. I wrote this a few months ago when I was going through a really hard time dealing with my mental health. When I started writing, I had no idea where it was going, but once I finished, I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. There's too much shame around mental health. I'm sharing my story because I hope that it'll help those who also struggle to realize that they aren't alone. My struggles make me who I am. Your struggles make you who you are. Don't be ashamed. Be proud. I've accepted my struggles and I've become so much freer. And I really hope you guys can do the same. Hello, everybody. I'm Maya Haas. I'm just another kid in this entire sermon that has something to say. But, due to the fact that we, the kids, are leading this sermon, you have to listen to me talk. Like the many others of my age group, I go to public school. The concept of it is newer to me, because 2020 was supposed to be my first year of not being homeschooled. So thanks, coronavirus, for making that not work. Now, continuing with my point, I used to wake up in the morning and prepare to depart on the yellow bus that arrived at 8.28 a.m. On said bus, I rode to a place that was filled with unsaid cruelties, niceties, and inequalities. On the days that my state of dress leans more to the boyish side, I tended to be respected by teachers who were, were in the workplace. When I dressed to appeal to my more feminine side, I got pushed out of the way and practically trampled. If I wore something that expresses my gay pride, or even hints that I had any, I received dirty looks from hallway passerby. Yet what I went through on an almost daily basis is easily shrugged off and is nothing compared to what those deemed differently abled or special needs goes through. Sure, there are kids like me who have support groups for their homophobic families and rude bullies, but what about those with differing abilities? The point of mainstreaming them into high school was to help them get used to other people and vice versa. Yet they were put in separate classrooms from everyone else and basically minded to be kept out of trouble. There was no learning going on in that room, just segregation from the rest of the average high schoolers. I had my seventh period in the room next to theirs, and I experienced indirectly what had been going on in that room. At the beginning of the year, I could hear a female teacher saying the ABCs and treating these teenagers like they don't even know something as simple as that. It was degrading. Her voice was so monotonous that it would drive the kids to wail. I reported it, but most of the teachers didn't actually care. The few that did in the past had some trouble getting something done about it. But what eventually happened was that the old teacher whose voice was aggravating the kids was booted from the high school and everyone in that special needs class was given a personal caretaker and teacher. At this time, things have improved in the classroom. However, nowadays, multiple times during that period, some kids in my classroom will sneak out to go to the bathroom and just annoy or scare the kids in that room so they'll make their weird cries, screams, and moans. Then the bullies that had remained in the classroom will bust a gut laughing about how stupid they sound, with they referring to the kids in the classroom next to us. What I've spoken of is just the tip of the iceberg made of public school's faults, but with work and time and a little bit of care, the situation can improve as it had in the past. Little by little, we can fix and desegregate the children of our society. And maybe, just maybe, that'll work to help us fix our future. 
As a senior in high school and soon-to-be graduate, I have first-hand insight into every level of our public education system. I have learned a lot in the past 18 years, but the majority of this knowledge was not gained from inside the classroom. In fact, I can attest to the fact that nothing hinders the curiosity of a child more than our current education system. Let us rewind and start from the beginning. In 1978, the Department of Education was founded. Prior to that date, the United States was number one in education worldwide. Now we find ourselves at number 27. How did this happen? It is my belief that standardization has been the most destructive force to the education of America's children. Our current system crushes individuality from the beginning, leaving inherently curious kids disinterested and exhausted. People have different methods of learning and our system only caters to one type logical, verbal, solitary learning, which is practiced individually through lectures and worksheets. This method leaves the other half of the student population behind, those who learn better visually, physically, and socially. Students who are naturally more hyperactive and hands-on learners are not being given the means by which they can best learn, and are then being overdiagnosed with disorders such as ADHD and ADD. Labeling natural behavior or different intelligences as disordered or challenged when it does not align with the curriculum harms self-worth and therefore proficiency. It's the system that needs to change, not the children. We need a system that values each student and their individual characteristics instead of working to conform all students to a single standard. The focus on standardization devalues originality and authenticity. Well, these are the things that allow us to fill our niches in the real world and thrive. There is another aspect of standardization, curriculum and testing. Since Common Core was implemented, exam failure rates have gone up to a whopping 30%, according to a large-scale study by the Pioneer Institute. The Department of Education practically chain-smokes standardized exams, each one worse than the last, leaving no time for students to adapt to changes. As students, we feel like guinea pigs for the boards of education, taking test after test. MAP, DC, CAS, PARC, Benchmark, MSAA, the list goes on and on. The intense focus on testing leaves no time for meaningful education. Teachers at my school have expressed that they feel more like exam proctors than teachers, teaching students how to pass a test rather than teaching them the material itself. Students I know have expressed frustration with having to spend so much time studying to pass tests that meaningful learning has become secondary and their curiosity has been exhausted. This is the new reality of American students. Not only have education systems ignored the needs of many different types of students, but they also don't work for every student's situation. Many inner city schools have low funding and curriculum that is unsupportive to students living in poverty. This is not a mistake. The system is negligent of students in low-income communities, perpetuating the racial and class divide in this country. According to a 2018 report by the Education Trust, most states give the poorest school districts less funding. The lack of proper funding for children in such communities keeps them in the exact situation that they should have been given the opportunity to surpass. In addition to these faults, the school system is damaging students' mental health. This has been a long-lived cry for help by students that the Board of Education simply refuses to acknowledge. 
My school starts at 7.30 a.m., leaving me to wake up between 5.30 and 6 a.m. every school day because of my distance from the school. Teenagers my age require 8 to 10 hours per, of sleep per night for healthy development. Most students my age are only getting between 4 and 6 hours because of activities, homework, family, and duties. On top of that, high school is a breeding ground for stress, which is unavoidable, but we are never taught to manage it. How can students be expected to wake up before the sun rises to go to a place that wears them down and doesn't even teach them how to cope with it? Our current education system undoubtedly disadvantages students. A recent Chicago Tribune study found that today's high school graduates are less prepared for college than they have been in a very long time. American students' education has been compromised due to political and monetary issues within the school system. However, due to the school's recent move to online learning because of COVID-19, we have been given the opportunity to find our own learning styles. Being stuck in a school building stifles students' free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And with this unexpected freedom and flexibility, we can take our learning into our own hands. As Albert Einstein once said, never let schooling interfere with your education. For the last few months, I've been a part of a youth climate activism group meeting at UUCF. So the first thing we want to say is thank you for giving us a place to work from. We're part of the Sunrise Movement, which is a youth-led nonprofit advocating for good jobs, a livable future, and a green new deal. Now, I know that for the most part, I'm preaching to the choir here. We don't have to tell you what an existential issue our treatment of Earth is, or how desperately we need action. But the fact is, even if you know that, it can still seem impossible. Like, how do you face a problem that's just so big? Like, where do you even begin? We get that. <laughs> Many of us in Sunrise have felt helpless to act, felt afraid of consequences, felt like useless bystanders, all the more so when you're a teenager. And that's hard to break through. Inactive support is always easier, but it just isn't enough. Our society is tuned against disruption. Even in the midst of a disruption as huge as the novel coronavirus, people are changing their lives, but they're not changing their way of life. Things have slowed, but they haven't shifted. Companies and governments still chew up our planet for profit, piece by piece. Fighting that isn't easy. And trying to means taking the risk that no one will follow you. But there's unity to be found in the face of that. And the Sunrise Movement is channeling unity into action. When we formed our group, we were tired of just watching others speak up. We wanted to do something. There are so many examples of people like us having an impact. From the lunch counter sit-ins of the 60s to the Occupy Wall Street campaign, we know nonviolent protest works. And like Greta Thunberg said, you're never too small to make a difference. 
And that's the point we want to make, more than anything. Each of us, in a thousand ways, can make a difference. You don't have to chain yourself to factory fences or give speeches to the United Nations. Although, <laughs> by all means, do those things too. But it just takes showing up, lending your time and your voice, like my group and I have chosen to do. With the Sunrise Movement, we're working at the local level. Starting here in Frederick, on April 22nd, the 50th anniversary of the original Earth Day, we were planning to hold a huge strike downtown, demanding climate action, a clean future, and a green new deal. Unfortunately, that's not an option right now. Um, but even if we can't gather en masse, we will still be heard. On Earth Day, we're going to be leading everyone to call their representatives with the option of provided scripts. And we need you to join us. There will be training via Zoom on April 11th. We will call, talk, petition, leave messages, and call again. We'll be sending out more information after the service and collecting pledges to call representatives. We need to send a message to all those in power, a message of simultaneous urgency and hope. How do we do that? We come together in the face of denial and resistance. We lend our time and our voice. We show up in a thousand ways because that is how things change. We want to thank all of you for giving us a place to work from and for being such an amazing community, for allowing us a platform to speak here. And thank you for joining us on Earth Day, for showing up even just by phone. Believe me when I say that together we can make a difference. Thank you.